One of the wonderful joys of being a Christian is trying to unpack God's word and what he says to us. Because uh, our God is uh, very accessible through Jesus. We're able to enter into his presence freely because of the cross of Christ and cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, you're my Father, and be in his presence. And he pours out his Holy Spirit on us, his children, does he not, in great generosity. And yet, when you start to look at his word, you find it's deep, 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 so deep that you can't fathom it. I want to talk to you about something that I find a little bit unfathomable having had 50 years of Sunday school preaching. That moment when the children of Israel are freed out of captivity in Egypt and they cross the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. The sea opens up, their enemies are destroyed when it closes up and they wander into the desert laden with treasure that has been given to them. Slaves set free by the power of God. You know the story. We liken that to our own situation, don't we? We were once like slaves in Egypt and Jesus set us free. Yes? Let me read to you from Exodus. This is just after, just after they've been set free. This is Exodus 16. It goes like this. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month that they had come out of Egypt in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve uh, as this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are, are to go out and each day gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in and there is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you'll know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said. You know that it was the Lord that gives you meat to eat in the evening, and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that we are not grumbling against us? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then the Moses uh, told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite assembly, community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. This is a really difficult story. Imagine seeing the glory of the Lord in a cloud. The glory, glory is a, a, a word derived from the word heaviness. The heaviness of God in a cloud. Terrifying and exciting all at the same time. To visibly get a sense of God's presence. So that if you were to say, where is God? He's over there in that cloud. Amazing. Terrifying. Awe-inspiring. 
Amazing to be fed and provided for miraculously by the provision of God. Every morning you wake up and there are wafers like the taste of honey or is it coriander or is it both? I can't remember. Which is it? Both. Honey and coriander. Sounds like something hideous from Waitrose, doesn't it? (laughs) Honey and coriander. An infusion thereof. But there it was in the morning waiting for you. The glory of God and the provision of God. Hallelujah. That's what we're after, isn't it? God provides to see his glory with our own eyes and to see his provision every morning. Amen. But there's something deeply wrong, isn't there? (laughs) Because when you read that story, the word that you hear most of all is what? Grumble, 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 grumble. Fantastic grumbling as well. (laughs) Proper teenage grumbling. When we were in Egypt, we sat before pots of vegetables and meat. No, you didn't. Slavery in Egypt was so hideous that Jeremiah describes it like being in, in, in a blacksmith's furnace. Your children were murdered and you had not enough to eat. And you were dying in captivity and slavery and God rescued you. Grumble, grumble, grumble. That moment where God says he's going to provide is a stunning line. He says, I will rain down bread from heaven and you'll have sufficient. (laughs) Can you see an incredible tension there between God's abundance, I will rain down bread and you'll have just enough. Often we use this story of an archetype of God's provision, like manna in the desert. Oh, I hope not. To know that God has abundant blessing, but he's tired of my grumbling. And though I can see him, I don't trust him, and he gives me just enough to get by. You see, to see the fiery pillar is wonderful and amazing. But you know, God calls us to faith, which is seeing, which is believing without seeing, right? Hebrews 11. Faith is in believing in something you can't see. Jesus said to Thomas, Didymus, he said, you, you believe because you put the, your fingers in the holes in my hand and the, your hand in the hole in my side, but blessed are they that have believed that haven't seen. Compare this to Deuteronomy chapter 26, if you're keeping up with me in your Bibles. The situation is that after 40 years of wandering in the desert, a generation bar Joshua and Caleb has died out. Even Moses, because of the grumbling and his angry response, wouldn't get to see God's promised land. But this is what God says about that promised land. 
Deuteronomy 26, verse 1. When you enter the land that the Lord is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today... The Lord, to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest will take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean and he came down into Egypt with a, f- a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the, Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery toil and oppression so the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders he brought us to this place and gave us this land a land flowing with milk and honey and now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you O Lord have given me place the basket before the Lord your God bow before him and you and your uh, and you and the Levites and the aliens amongst you shall rejoice in the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household the moment that the Israelites were to cross the Jordan into God's promised land certain things would stop there would be no more cloudy, uh, cloudy pillar and fire to follow but they would have to follow God by faith And once they moved into the promised land, the manna and the quail would stop. No more wafer in the morning, just provided. No more sufficiency. But they would be in a land that flows with milk and honey. A land of God's provision that they would work. And then, out of gratefulness for what God had done, they were commanded, fill a basket with the very first fruits the good things that come out of the ground and take it to where God is and kneel before him and celebrate you, your family, the Levites, the aliens, the widows and the orphans. It's the tithe. I believe that to release blessing, to release finance in the kingdom of God, we've got to remember again why we tithe, why we bring the first fruits into the kingdom, into the, into the church of Christ. This isn't manna from heaven. This isn't God providing for a grumpy people who are constantly asking and moaning. This is about bringing the first of what God has given you. It's quite difficult, I think, to, to imagine that now because we live in a, a, a country that is well supplied and food has no calendar anymore. But imagine a thousand years ago in this country, you'd go through the hungry gap during Lent around April, where you'd eaten all of your winter stores, you'd sown into the ground the last of your, your, your food, you then had Lent where you fasted, which was timed very nicely with the fact there was nothing to eat anyway. The hungry cap. So April and May would have been the hungriest months of the year. Then the harvest starts to come up. The first fruit starts to appear. What must that have looked like? As you come out of a fast, 
As you celebrate Easter and the risen Christ, food is now appearing again. God's provision is now appearing again. Imagine taking a basket of the very best and the first that God has given you and laying it before him and saying, because I am yours, Lord, this belongs to you. That's tithing. It's an act of worship. What is it that you're instructed to do when you take your offering before the priest? Is to remember that once you were wandering Aramaean. Remember once you had no home, you lived in a desert. Remember once you were in slavery. Giving is part of our worship. Do you know what I love about it? Is it's so tangible. You can actually express your love for Jesus by saying, the first thing that comes into my account is yours, Lord. The best of what comes to me is yours, Lord. The best of my time, the best of my resource. You don't sound very excited about that. (laughs) It's wonderfully liberating. Jesus talks an awful lot about money. You know, the amazing pressure on, on uh, mankind at the moment, you could probably sum up as money and sex. Jesus doesn't talk that much about sex, which is one of the great struggles of our community, isn't it? But he talks an awful lot about money. An awful lot about money. Bearing in mind he was writing this 2,000 years ago, it's stunningly relevant. The story of the rich young ruler who comes to him and says, how am I inherit the kingdom of God? Oh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, I've done these things. Ooh, just one other thing. Give away you've, what you've got to the poor. And this rich young ruler goes away unhappy because he was very wealthy. What about... Uh, uh, where Jesus talks about how is it possible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible, the disciples say. Do you know, that's a very disturbing uh, uh, parable for us. We live in this country in the richest 5% of the world. I don't know your personal circumstance, but however you are funded and however wealthy you feel, you're in the top 5% of this, this, this world. And actually in this area, you're probably in the top 1%. And Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle for the, for, than for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. Still happy? <laughs> That's a terrifying thought if you think about it. And his disciples said, but who can do it? It's impossible. And what was Jesus' response? What did Jesus say back? Nothing is impossible with God. You know what, rich people? We can be saved because God does the impossible. What else? I paraphrase, but Jesus told a story. He said, do you hear about the man who was wealthy and his riches just grew and grew? And he said, God, I've got so much money. What do I do next? Build bigger barns. And Jesus said, fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. 
build up treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't eat away. Because what's the real use if you gain the whole world but throw the life of your soul away? Jesus said this and so many other stunning things about money and about worry and about finance. Do you know what? I believe there is a crisis of faith in the church today in this country. I certainly see it every day in our own community in Ascot. Of understanding the words of Jesus, but living lives as practical atheists because we live as if it's not true. We live as if we're not going to die at any minute and face judgment day. In fact, we don't really talk about judgment day very much. We live as if stacking up the wealth and stacking up the pension funds and the riches will make any difference in eternity. We spend our lives pursuing emptiness. And Jesus says, build up treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't eat away. So it really is. And everyone agrees with that. No one says money can make you happy. Did you know there is an amount of money they've calculated that can make you happy? Enough of that. There is, though. It's not as much as you think. But actually, no one in their right mind says, yeah, money makes you happy. We all know that. And yet, and yet, and yet, we live pursuing wealth. Jesus, when he preached uh, the parable of the sower, he talked about uh, uh, the word of God going out, the seed being sown, some of it falling on hard ground. Some of it falling on shallow ground where it grew up and withered in the sun. Then some of it fell amongst weeds. And he described the weeds as the deceptiveness of wealth. When we bring the first fruit, we say to God, we have not been deceived. Because you have saved me out of Egypt, because I have been born again, here's the best of what I have, God. It's yours Take it back to do what you will with. It's hideous when you sit that next to charitable giving. I give the first few back to God and I also give £10 a month to the NSPCC. That is not how it should be in our hearts and minds. Forgive me, is that a bit brutal? Thank you. Thank you, Bex. We love brutal. Do you know, it's a, a, a change of mindset, isn't it? It's a change of language. When you read what Paul says to the Corinthians and the Philippians in his letters about money, you can tell Paul wasn't English because of how he talks about money. When he, when he writes to the Philippian church about their contributions... The language he used is a fragrant sacrifice pleasing to God. (laughs) Would you like to be fragrant before God? I always associate that terminology with prayer and even with martyrdom. A fragrant sacrifice before God. But Paul says your giving, your gift was a fragrant sacrifice. What stunning language. God will not be mocked. You reap what you sow. It's a spiritual principle. What you sow in, you'll reap.
when talking to the Corinthian church about the Philippians in a sort of rather uh, um, clever comparative thing that Paul does. He says this, Now, my brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severest trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they are able to give as much as they are able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. I was thinking about this last night. We had a worship evening uh, and we, we use this terminology around worship that Paul says to them. He says, he says of the Philippians, they're, they're, I can read it so I get it right. He says, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up. On one hand, you've got this overwhelming joy in their salvation. So thrilled and excited to be born again. When Bex read out Psalm 40, it was Psalm 40, wasn't it? And that moment where, where, where David describes being in the miry clay and she prayed, and God, you got down in the clay with me. Their overwhelming joy at their salvation, welling up with their extreme poverty. Extreme poverty is quite an interesting term because it's actually relative. In other words, to, to the point where they, they didn't have enough. So those two things, their joy and their poverty smashing together, welled up in extreme generosity. With them begging Paul to be a part of the service. Oh God, I wish our worship looked like that. I'm not talking about your church, I'm talking about mine. I don't mean just in finance, I'm just, I just mean in everything, that my extreme joy and my lack would well up in rich generosity, that I'd be begging God to serve him. That's just me. So to finish, do you know there's a huge challenge, I believe, in us. Because God is saying, I believe, to every generation, but to this one, how long do you want to be in the desert and will you move into the promised land? That moment where you cross the Jordan, the Jordan opens up and you move into a land that flows with milk and honey. Do you want to remain uh, uh, being provided for and needing to see all the time what God is doing? Or do you want to move to be a people who obey and who sow and who reap and who give? Don't be fooled into thinking that I'm preaching about if you give, God will bless you. I am not. It's true because you reap what you sow. But you know, when you read Malachi, Malachi 3, where God is talking to the children of Israel and he says, you've robbed me of the tithe. And they say, how have you, have you robbed me? And they say, how have we robbed you, Lord, of the tithes and offerings? Bring the offerings into the, 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 the storehouse and see if I will not open up the storehouse of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you don't have room for it. I've heard that preached so many times as a promise that God will bless us if we, if we tithe and if we bring gifts. Uh, yeah, maybe so. 
But there's something a little bit more challenging and even angry about that where God is saying, of course, of course, but that's not why we give. That's not why we bring the first fruit. It's not so God can give us more. Are we children that we bring gifts to our parents so they give us stuff back? Or are we grown-ups that say, this belongs to you, God. Do what you will with it. You see, what the children of Israel were commanded to do was to bring the offering uh, to the temple, put it down in front of the priest, bring their family, and have an almighty party about their salvation. And out of that tithe, the Levites, those called into the service of God, got their gift got their, their, their finances, their way of living, because they didn't have any land to live off. Also the alien, the stranger, the immigrant, the unbeliever, the lost, the broken, were also blessed out of that. Also the widows and the orphans, those that had lost loved ones, those that were going through pain, were blessed out of that. Almost like collateral damage of bringing the tithe into the, the storehouse. Boom! The ministry of God is released. Widows and orphans are looked like after an outreach amongst the alien happens. I love that term, outreach amongst the aliens. It sounds almost sort of, you know, space agent wrong, doesn't it? It struck me when you think about uh, um, the manna. There was just enough. Israel was called to bless all the nations of the earth, but there was just sufficient for you in the manna. Just enough. You'll get by. But in a land flowing with milk and honey, just the 10%, just the tithe, and you can bless strangers amongst you. Would you like to stand up? I'm going to pray. Um, Imagine a church community who understand that what God has given them in salvation and his Holy Spirit can be given back and reflected back in worship and praise, in service, in mission, and in finance. Imagine the impact of a group of people who say, yes, I really do believe this. God set me free from the constraints of financial worry. Imagine a group of people who liberate what's going on in their financial lives to the service of God. Imagine a Sunday where Andy stands up and says, that thing where we do, where we ask for money back, what do you call that, the charitable thing? Gift aid, not so much of an issue because we are more than amply supplied. Imagine that. Can you imagine that? Anyone imagine that? Is it just at the back? Yes, Andy, yes. Because God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. Yes? It is time for tangible things to be released in the kingdom of God. It is time for worship to become tangible in this way. I know you're a great church of great givers. I know that. So forgive me uh, if any of this sounds like uh, I don't know you, but I don't know you. Where's Bex? Would you like to come up? Bex has something to bring. And then I'm going to pray if that's all right and ask for a response.
This is a prayer poem that I wrote this week in our week of prayer that fits. Oh Lord, would you teach me how to pray? Can a rich man be taught how to pray? Or is it like the camel going through the eye of the needle again? I mean, what can this rich man know about give us this day our daily bread when I can just nip out to the corner shop and get a sliced loaf? Paying by contactless, madam. Yep. Effortlessly. Thoughtlessly. Ungratefully. I have the illusion that I provide for myself. I don't have a need for anything, and if I do need something, it's not for any longer than it takes for me to get to my Amazon app on my smartphone. Delivery the next day, no delay. What do I know about waiting? I wonder if my wealth actually robs me. Robs me of waiting? Robs me of persevering in prayer? robs me of knowing the joy of your provision. My prayers have become a lot like my online shop on my sofa. Easy, doesn't take long out of my day. Oh, don't put yourself out, love. Stay comfortable. (laughs) Scroll, click, I want that. Click, click, I want, I want, I want. Healing for the kids' colds, click. Washing machines on the blink needs fixing, click. Maybe a friend's in need, click. Full basket, check out, done, on to the next thing. I don't linger. No relationship with the one I pray to, no dialogue. I pray at you. I want to pray with you, to you, through you, by you. Together, let us pray. And I'm inconvenienced by you, God, when you don't deliver. When you don't come in the slot that I chose for you, and when you don't do as you're told, I expect results. I put my complaints in, I whine and sulk like an entitled, spoiled child. The customer is always right, you know. And that's what I have become, a consumer, and you the service provider. I want to be a friend, a follower, a learner. Oh, Lord, teach me how to pray. I say to myself, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need anything. But I am wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I know that when you ask, will my people who I call by name humble themselves and pray... You're asking me to remember who you are. You are God and I am not. You're asking me to stop. I am not self-sufficient. I am not mis-independent. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Who am I kidding? Do I think that I don't need God? That's what you'd think from the lack of prayer in my life. So I might stand here before you, a put-together, middle-class young lady in the affluent city of Oxford. But I am undone in your presence, Lord. I am stripped down in your sight. I am in desperate need of a saviour. 
Forgive me, Lord, and teach me how to pray. Amen. Just while every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Because I believe God is calling a response. Um, Lord, I thank you for these people's honesty. And Father, for each one of us. Lord, for all the good things that you have given us. We love you and we want to return them to you. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to each one. To release us from the fear of death. To release us from the love of money, Father. And Lord, release us into worship to you.